Hello and welcome back to the Thunder Six Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I am starting something that I have been talking to you all for months now. And really, it's not that big of a deal, I'm going to be honest, but um, it's me kind of giving reviews for the final season. Every single player on the roster, at least that is currently here, so I'm leaving out guys like Justin Robinson, sadly. I don't know if you guys would like to hear more about him, but um, yeah, I'm going to be discussing everybody currently on the roster, whoever finished out with the season. I'm going to be discussing them, so... Players like Charlie Brown Jr. are going to be talked about. Josh Hall, Jalen Horde, they're all going to be in the discussion. Right now, as I tally these up, there are 16 guys that I'll be talking about over the next five days. And just my takeaways from all of them, from what we saw from the regular season, and even other areas. So I'm very excited. We're going to be going down the line from point guard, moving to shooting guard, small forward, power forward, and center to put a bow on things. So I'm pumped. Um, Before I start, though, I want to say for today's episode, Teo Maladone is getting put as a shooting guard. And I know that's like controversial. Teo pretty much did play point guard to end the season out. But I think to start things, he really was playing shooting guard when George Hill got injured. He was the shooting guard. And I think it's fair because if unless you guys want me to talk about Kenrich Williams, Seema Hailuk, and... Charlie Brown Jr. for 40 minutes tomorrow. I think you're going to thank me for this one. I mean, that that's the only way you guys would be mad if you want to listen to those three guys. So I had to spice it up a little bit for tomorrow. I love all three of those guys, even without Maladone, but I think that helps out a bit. And with SGA, who we already know is going to be the centerpiece of this, Ty Jerome has been a very sweet surprise to where I think he fills in just fine. And the point guard discussing two players should be pretty just for the position. So I'm pretty hyped up to talk about it. And but without further ado, I'm just going to go right into things with SGA. So starting out with SGA, this was someone who we knew entering the year was going to be the star of the show. There's no Chris Paul. There's no Dennis Schroeder. Even guys like Gallo and Steven Adams, they're wiped. What you had left from the roster this season from, you know, even just the year before was about nothing out of true rotational pieces. There's really only three guys that I can amount to. And it's SGA and Baisley. Dort came in and became a star to end the season. So I count him too. But on the outside, the only other people you had were Hamadou Diallo. I'd say it was kind of a rotational piece. He didn't get played a lot under Donovan though. Mike Muscala, and Isaiah Roby. I might be off with maybe one other person here. I, I don't think I am. I think it's just those guys. But yeah, it was a whole entire different universe that we had. And SGA was the last remnant. And starting the season out, the Thunder were not expected to win a lot of games. They did not. They were pretty surprising to begin the year. But the expectation was they were going to tank and be at the very bottom. And with that, SGA was going to be the number one option. And he was in his time playing 35 games out of the year so not even half of it because he had the plantar fascia issue and he was just out back and forth where his COVID protocols just taking a day off he was gone a little bit even without you know the two-month break he took but it's still worth talking about him in full so before the year started I said he was going to be a star and I had a show this is probably my 
one of my first like 10 podcasts I uploaded, maybe a little bit outside that, but it was, I think right before, right after the final preseason game and the roster was set in stone. I did an over and under with my friend Nick. I had him on and we were talking about anything from the amount of wins the team would get to statistics. And one of the talks was about SGA and where he would grade out by the end of the year. So the little discussion I had was higher or lower, over or under, whichever one you want to call it, on these three stats. And I had the baseline as 23 points, 5 rebounds, and 5 assists. So both of us were able to adjust those accordingly and just give our final grade on things. And whenever I wrote those out, um, I probably should have been a little bit better with it because that was pretty much what I already predicted. So maybe I could have swapped it a bit, but I ended up settling out and you guys can check this if you'd like to. I had his season predictions at 23 points, four rebounds and six assists. And for points, my deal was he's going to be the number one option. He'll have a lot of shots on the table and he'll be able to make things work. So 23, that was good for me. Four rebounds. I saw him taking a step back from last year solely because his role, I thought, was going to be strictly playing point guard. There was going to be no real spot for him at a shooting guard where he would go in and crash the glass. His job would be strictly going in transition, getting passes to go in a transition, and take away, make the correct reads. I didn't see him as a rebound player. So four was where I had him. And then for assists, I marked him up as six because... I think one of the reasons was as he was playing in the preseason he averaged like four or so in 21 minutes he was gonna play 30 minutes so that's where you kind of get six and he ended the year really damn close to what I put so I'm kind of excited here his actual stat line was 23.7 points 4.7 rebounds and 5.9 assists so if you want to round I'm wrong on two of them you could not get any closer in terms of assists, though. Just 0.1 off. 0.7 off on points and 0.7 off also on rebounds. So I think that was probably my best prediction I had. Um, but even with that, I couldn't have predicted this stat line here of him shooting over 40% from three. 41.8. Round that up to 42, if you will. He was ridiculous. So he exceeded all expectations, even though, you know, on paper I had this stat line. I couldn't have envisioned him playing like an all-star and seriously probably should have been selected an all-star over some of the guys. Now, I'm not going to be mopey about it because as soon as the Thunder go up and up through these draft picks, SGA is going to be in the limelight and he'll pick up an all-star. I don't see him being a borderline all-star who never gets chosen. I think it's in his future, so I'm not all that concerned about it. But he was playing at a very high level at the time to where it wasn't just Mike Conley where you were saying SGA is better. It was Devin Booker. It was DeMar DeRozan. You could even go to Donovan Mitchell, but I think at the time Mitchell was pretty set. Um, But yeah, his stats were pretty good and on level with a lot of these stars. And I remember talking about how he was in the same categories as LeBron James and players like Luka Doncic at the time. And you could you kind of had to dissect and make some pretty sketchy stat lines in NBA to like NBA stats to get it to work out. But that's still extremely good company, even if you widen it a little bit. So he was at the top of the team for sure. And 
in some games, he was the best player on the basketball court. So he was amazing. I think starting things out, you need to look at it as him as a playmaker because before the year, you didn't really have a gauge on SGA as a passer. Now, I say that because as last year was kind of churning out, we knew that SGA was the third guard in the rotation, and that was a beautiful lineup. You saw that three-guard lineup get splashed out, and they were perfect together. You could not have drawn it up better, and other teams, like the Rockets, just took that small ball and ran with it for the playoffs, and that's obviously how they knocked the Thunder out, but that little strategy was amazing, but it was pretty clear as a ball handler, SGA was that third option. Chris Paul, wizard at the point guard, he's still amazing. Like, for the Suns, they're really going tooth and nail with the Lakers. And as I'm recording this, Game 5 is happening tonight. That is pivotal. If the Suns can collect a win there, oh my goodness. And if they beat the Lakers, that is going to be probably the biggest thing you're going to get out of this playoffs. Um, but, yeah. He came in, he was behind Chris Paul, obviously, and then Schroeder, he's playing off the bench, probably should have been six-man, but even in a lineup where SGA and Schroeder were together, you had Schroeder taking the ball up. He was the initiator, and he could create for himself, or he could pass the basketball around. So SGA was the off-ball god who, you could give him the ball, and he'd pop it. Catch-and-shoot-wise, he was amazing, but even taking it with the basketball, he could create for himself. And you did not see a ton of pick and rolls with him, but he was still all right with that. So he wasn't top of the line or anything, but you knew the seeds were planted, but you just didn't know how he'd play as a playmaker where you don't have CP3 being the guy for you. He needed to be CP3 and being mentored by him. You had a pretty good gut feeling it would work out and it obviously did, but the way that it worked out was a lot better than I anticipated and maybe some of you guys anticipated as well. I thought as a half-court guy, he'd be pretty good at finding the open man, but the way that he found these passes were ridiculous in my book. He ended up making a lot of those passes due to the defense just being forced to. As a pick-and-roll player, I think he's a top-10 guy in the NBA, maybe even better. He led the NBA in drives this year. Now, granted, he didn't play the full season, even if he did, he was going to be at the top by probably like two or three drives a game. He averaged 25.1 drives over those 35 games. And in second place, there is almost a whole five drive deficit. Luka Doncic ranks second with 20.3. And at third, Trey Young is at 20.1. Those are guys that you see all the time using screens and trying to use those to the best of their abilities. Even someone like Ja Morant, he averaged 18.4. And in the playoffs, he's doing a lot of work. He is getting drive after drive. He's averaging 25 right now. He is taking that stat in a landslide for the postseason right now. But SGA, that was the bread and butter. And that was seriously the Thunder offense in a nutshell the whole time he was in the rotation. And for me... It was great. It was like a little honeymoon stage for like the first two months because he had the game winner to start the year out. And then, you know, he's dropping 30 point games, you know, maybe once a week, whatever. He was averaging 25. He was he was doing great. And then you start looking at other guys like Baisley. When are they going to get the basketball? He found him a lot in kickouts, but 
you didn't see any real other secondary ball handler like it was to be expected. He was the number one guy and he ran with it. So he loved getting high ball screens from Al Horford to start the season out. And Al Horford, he's a pick and pop player. So he would go out to the three and SGA would find him all the time for assists. I think that's beautiful and it really works to the both of them. Proved Horford, Horford improved SGA because if you would have put Steven Adams on the roster, if he never got traded, which was a move that everybody did not like for the most part, you know, it's one of those moves that you obviously emotionally are pretty mad about it, but you work your way into it. Like Steven Adams didn't work as a center. He's not that great in the playoffs for us. So it was a, be- it was for the better, but if you put you know, as Steven Adams, they're just a non-shooter at center. I don't think SGA would be near as highly touted as he is now. Horford meant a lot this season for SGA. It was kind of a dynamic duo that was brewing that kind of, when you look at the whole season, came a little bit under the horizon. So you just got to credit that. And then off of SGA's drives, there were a lot of assists that came off those. But also as he's driving, he became very good as a drive and dish player especially in the corners he averaged 2.4 assists a game off of making those passes and he had a lot more passes that let led to wide open shots they just didn't happen to fall in so he had a pretty good gauge I'd say for the most part at finding the correct player when he was getting swarmed I will say sometimes he would kind of get into this mind frame that nobody could stop him and it didn't matter if there were two guys running right at him he'd still try to go up for a shot and he'd live with the result there were contested shots where there was someone wide open he just didn't want to hit him but overall I think it's fine because he did make right reads probably 50 percent of the time and even on those reads where he wants to take it up in a lot of contact He became really good at making contested layups, and that was something I did not expect from SGA. I know that driving in layup-wise was kind of a strong suit for him, but he turned into a penetration star in the pick and roll this season, and it wasn't just the layups were falling in, and these are some very difficult layups. He started incorporating reverse layups into his game. I know on some occasions, he'd even use hop steps. Did it happen a lot? Not really, but it was there. He had some runners that were in the mix too, but I think most importantly, there were a lot of free throws that came, especially right before he got injured. He was a foul magnet collecting like 10 a game and nobody could stop him. He averaged off of the pick and rolls three attempts per game and the percentage of those that goes in doesn't really matter, but he got to a line a pretty good amount of times and if you want to calculate it to like the back month I'd assume it increases to probably four or five overall though the pick and roll accounted for over half of his points he averaged 13.1 points off of going in on drives and when you want to look at what he accounted for off of those assists it gets inflated much much more so that was really just how he was as a player when he wanted to play in the half court things got a little bit different. If he didn't have a screen or he didn't want to drive in off this screen, you had different parts of his game kind of getting exhausted as well. But he was amazing as a pick and roll player. And that's really what just drove him throughout this season and turned him into an absolute leader. But let's say off of the screen, he wanted to stay back. His man stuck right back onto him. There was no way he could drive in. He surprisingly 
turned into an amazing three-point shooter. And I mentioned this, but this was the biggest breakthrough through his game. I think pick-and-roll-wise, he took a magnificent jump. But I don't think that would have been near as effective had it not been for the three that developed in just a huge heat wave for him. Last season, he seemed extremely good. He shot 35% on threes, shooting 3.6 attempts. It didn't seem like he shot 36 or 35%. Seems like he shot like 45 because there was nobody on the Thunder roster for the most part that could hit threes, especially at the shooting guard position for the last five years. So anybody shooting above 30% looked like Kyle Korver or Karan Butler, Anthony Morrow. You name it, that's who they were. That was all you needed. You didn't need to be that impressive from downtown. But 35, that's a pretty good starting point especially at 21 years old taking the jump at 22 sga went up average just about five a game and shot 42 percent from the floor that is ridiculous that is a stat line that you see from the best of the best shooters in the entire league i don't have the stats pulled up right now i could probably pretty easily get it um get it yeah i can definitely get the stat up in a second here but when you're talking players shooting above 40 percent it's a pretty exclusive class already but when you dissect it into guys that are polarizing they're not a one-trick pony where all they're shooting are three-point attempts that that is when you get into that top tier caliber and sga fit the mold this season when you want to look at the top of the board steph curry shot 42.1% from three. Now, granted, he did shoot about 13 a game, so that is far more impressive than SGA. If you're shooting 42% on 13 threes, where you're getting just contested all over the place, because Curry was kind of a one-man show this year, you need to put a lot of credit into that. But when you look towards other guys who were shooting, you know, a pretty good portion of threes this year, he still fits the bill for the most part. Like guys like Kyrie shooting 40% from the floor. Jason Tatum shooting about eight a game, shot 38%. Donovan Mitchell was at 38%. Guys like Devin Booker, he only shot 34%. That's a guy who has been known as a shot creator, especially from downtown. And Trey Young shot 34% too. He's a guy that is known to be, he was praised as the next Steph Curry like a year ago, you know? And SGA, he's not going to get credit for his sharpshooting ability. Outside of OKC circles, he's not going to be known for that. I don't even know if he's going to be known at all. He's just known as the guy from the Paul George trade who might be better than Paul George. And the trajectory he's going at, he might be able to make that claim in a couple years. But you don't want to get ahead of yourself. Anyways, my point is, SGA doesn't seem like a a premier shooter. You know, he's not extremely quick. His release isn't quick either, so it seems like he'd be pretty easy to contest. But he doesn't get phased by that. He just goes right down to business, and he put up shots and made defenders pay. And the way he did that was the use of the step back three. This was a part of his game we didn't really see last year, and without it, he wouldn't have been shooting over 40%. I honestly think he would have been shooting probably right around 35, maybe a little bit better. But overall, 
that step back turned him into a three-level scorer when it came to him using the ball. If he didn't have that step back, I don't think a face-up three would have worked for him. Even a pull-up wouldn't have been that significant. But that step back gave him the space every time. You have to keep in mind now that SGA, as a point guard, he's pretty tall. He's six foot six, so he can get above his defender for shots. Makes up for the lack of speed, really. So he used that, and then he just started torching defenders constantly. That's something that's going to stick with him for the rest of his career, and it makes him scary on the ball, just everywhere on the floor. Now, when you look at him as an off-ball player, that's what he was last year for the Thunder, and he still was that for the team, and he was still playing at such a high level, probably even better off the ball, you might not even notice it, but he averaged... He only shot 1.13s a game off this, so you need to take it with a grain of salt, I guess. But he still shot above 40% on catch-and-shoot threes. Overall, he shot 43.2%, so above what you typically saw for him on a three-point shot. He was just deadly everywhere, and it gives you those seeds, and I know we don't have a guy like a Jalen Green or Cade Cunningham on the roster right now, but as someone looking on to the draft and you guys who you guys definitely should be looking towards this offseason because it's huge look at SGA as not just a star right now but also one of the best puzzle pieces in the league and I think out of tanking teams right now he probably is the best young tanking you know young piece on a tanking team right now especially at the point guard spot you can talk about guys on the magic or guys on the Cleveland Cavaliers, SGA is better than all of them tenfold. Right now, no doubt, and I think even given two years of time, he's still better than where they'd be at. Truthfully, that's my that's my kind of take on things. But SGA, he's great off the ball, and he sh- he's shown it for the last two years. Even with the rookie season with the Los Angeles Clippers, he did that too. If you plug in a Cade Cunningham, or if you plug in a Jalen Green, were they two? also work on and off the ball that becomes a dynamic duo that can take you to very high places now i mean am i gonna say those two are gonna drive you to a championship probably not because the thunder had westbrook durant and james harden and you know where it got them one finals appearance and then everything came crashing down they couldn't make it again so you don't make any hot takes here but any any two of jalen green or Kate Cunningham in my eyes, turn that into a cornerstone duo that you can take very, very long lengths. Now, a guy like Jalen Suggs, he's great too. I don't know off the ball if he's going to fit though. So I might put him in a third place, but Kate Cunningham and Jalen Green, you can't go wrong with either in terms of the future. And it all comes down how SGA has developed his game on and off to where he's going to be a major threat for a long time. So I think he was a smash hit. Now, you would have loved to seen him for the last 30 or so games. Now, you kind of say that, but would you be in the same draft position? Absolutely not. So, the injury sucks. I think the position of him being gone from these games really helped for the future, though. So, I'm, I'm pumped for what we have in store. SGA showed us enough, though. If he would have played those last 35 and never got injured... He would just continue to get better because that's where he was at. Game by game, it seemed like he was learning something new. And you saw the step back come in maybe 15 games into the season. 
he only ended up playing 35 what would we have seen in those 40 games that we never got to witness with Shea Gojis Alexander I don't know but he's gonna have a full season or off season he has to rehab still with a plantar fascia issue but I think he's gonna be up and running come next year so get ready for SGA and another player the second guy I want to talk about is a guy you can still look towards in the future and he is going to have a future it is Ty Jerome and this is a guy truthfully before the season started there were maybe two or three players on the training camp roster I did not like and I don't think I I didn't I didn't not like Ty Jerome I know whenever I was talking potential cuts in those previous episodes I said he had a glob of potential but there's did not seem to be any sort of room with him when he got traded to the Thunder in the package deal that sent us like Jalen LeCue and Kelly Oubre and yeah also you know Ty Jerome it didn't seem like Ty Jerome was the main deal for me I thought that Kelly Oubre he was great and I was excited to see him now he got traded that was a blessing in disguise LeCue I actually thought was a better prospect now it's solely because his jumping ability and we saw him played for the Pacers Mad Ants he's out of the league right now so the decision to keep Jerome over LeCue was a home run my deal though with Jerome it wasn't really a concern with him as opposed to what the lineup was at the time but I thought that any sort of battle for a spot for him would have had to incorporate Teo Maladone and I thought Maladone was a steal I didn't see any reason why Jerome would be playing over Maladone because Maladone's 19 Jerome was 23 at the time and he was a great playmaker for the Phoenix Suns but he didn't have a three-point shot and it's large in part due to the fact the Suns did a terrible job managing him last year. Like, they did not give him the limelight. They pick him in the first round. He's a senior coming out of Virginia. He might have been a junior, but he's an upperclassman regardless. If you're picking an upperclassman in the first round, they need to be a rotational guy getting 15 to 20 minutes every single night. And they never did it with him anyways. He only played in 31 of those games. And he averaged 11 minutes in that span. So, it was not what that gig should be, truthfully. For a guy like Jerome, you need to put him in immediately and make him an impact guy. He wasn't that. He had to play in the G League. And as I said, his biggest kind of hit with him was the playmaking and shooting potential he had. He was good as a playmaker, but as a shooter, 28%. That's extremely low. So when he got moved over to the Thunder, it kind of made sense for the Suns to do so. And I thought the Thunder would still have that issue where SGA is going to be playing 30 minutes a game. Teo Maladone, he should be playing the remainder of those minutes because you're trying to tank. And Maladone looked really good on tape. Jerome, I just didn't know where you'd throw him because I expected Lou Dort to be playing at the two and George Hill to be somewhere in that mix. That's that's all those 96 minutes have to offer. So Jerome just didn't didn't mean a lot to me. And he was able to just completely change my mind. I thought that Jerome really just would have been your average typical bench player. He's not that. And in the last month, the final month of the season, there were seriously talks that Ty Jerome should not just be considered a young player on the Thunder, but a player of 
the future Thunder, a young player who can be part of that rebuild and a major one at that. And it started out with his blue stint. Did not play, had that mysterious like ankle injury, I think it was. But it was weird. He was just sidelined. He somehow made it through cuts over a guy like Frank Jackson, who I thought also at the time when I made that, I thought Frank Jackson was a for sure 15-man roster spot. So you need to be battling with him too. And I probably, I picked Frank Jackson at the time too. And that's still a competition that you could hold now and you could have a solid debate. But anyways, he got moved out and then things changed a little bit. Like there might be a spot and then George Hill goes down. Now you have Teo Maladone exorbing those minutes, but there's still kind of areas you can start picking at. Dort's playing at the small forward now, and there's actual room saying, hey, if he balls out in Orlando, he could come back and be a pretty good player for the Thunder, at least filling up those minutes at least. And playing for the Blue, he was a great piece. He was amazing for the team. I watched all 15 of those. I did all the game recaps, and I did podcasts on them. So I think in talking about the Blue, I kind of have a good gauge but he wasn't the most polarizing player on the roster. There was Moses Brown, number one. Omer Yurt 7 was right behind him. There were guys like Antonius Cleveland, who started the season out hot, very hot. Chase on Randall, he played two games for the Blue, averaged 20 points. He's on the Magic now. He was great, too. And Xavier Simpson out of Michigan was also torching it up. And even off the bench, you had Rob Edwards from Arizona State who was balling out, and you just had so many different guys on the blue roster who looked like they could play NBA basketball. It was wild, and I think in all of that, Ty Jerome was always there as a sturdy, sturdy piece, but I think overall, he wasn't even the primary point guard. You had Poku, who was turning the ball over a lot early. He fixed things late, Poku was there and Xavier Simpson was that true point guard the guy who was getting those screens and working down low to drive and dish Jerome did that in a smaller sample size though and then the big deal became his three-point shot he started drilling threes and that's where the light bulbs start going off or saying hey maybe it was a fluke when he was playing for the Phoenix Suns last year and then you start going into playmaking he was making some pretty good passes and As I said, I wasn't thinking he's going to be a star. He's going to be averaging 11 points a game for the Thunder when he comes back. Hell no. I just thought, yeah, he is going to be a good rotational piece, and he probably should be good when he makes that jump when he gets recalled. And it turned out well. Like, I don't have the final stats on Jerome right now. I can actually pull those up um, in a second. Yeah, I'll be pulling those up as I am speaking right now but he wasn't the star I mean it was the two bigs and you kind of had to cater towards them a lot I will say though a big deal became how he was extremely slow in the pick and roll and overall he's a very slow guy but everything still seemed to come naturally to him like he could get into the paint and pop a quick floater and it would go in and then the same thing goes off of screens. He'd just shoot right over the top and they'd start drilling in. There were some limitless threes that were going in for him. And I think that's really where his strong suit kind of went in. And overall for the blue, he was one of the first guys to get recalled. He played nine games, averaging 12 points, 
2.6 rebounds and 3.2 assists, but he shot 30% from three going on five attempts. So it really was up and down for him. And in the G League, there was no real consistency when you're talking three-pointers. Everyone had their off games, so you can't fault him really. But yeah, he had those down games where he'd go like one for seven, and then he'd go five for eight in the next one. So there were there was a real reason he got recalled early. And when he did, man, that 15-point game, it was either his first or second game. That's where you knew he was legitimate, and he just kept going. He now is a player that you look towards as a future piece at the guard spot. And it's hard to work out now because you have SGA, you have Teo, and now there's Ty Jerome doing great. There's even guys like Kenrich who have seeped into a shooting guard spot. You get a high-quality draft pick. Then he's going to be a bench guy. No doubt he's going to be the bench too. And probably Teo is going to be at the point guard. But that's still a player that, as a backup, he is an absolute stud. That's where I project him to be, but he'd be amazing. And you put Teo as that point guard, that's a formidable roster that we saw a lot just in general in the starting units. And you take that paste it into next season as a bench he'll be amazing he was playing like a mini Steph Curry at times the limitless range he showed was ridiculous the amount of 30 footers that he was knocking down 32 footers in particular was insane in the last month and the threes were just so ripe for him it was wild and a lot of it did come off of screens because he can't really be an isolator he wasn't an isolation player he always needed something up top to work with but he always kind of hung around and if there was room to shoot over the top he did it smart move by him because he he you know shot 42 percent from distance this season but also he could sit back and he looked for backdoor cuts he found kenrich williams so many times this season he only averaged 3.6 assists but damn in doing so he was really good at finding the hits and he only averaged 24 minutes by the way but he was looking all over the floor and i think the court vision was a big deal with ty jerome shooting came in though and that was really where you got that gun punch gut punch in and you took him very very seriously so the threes put him on the map and as he started triggering off those like 18 point games, I think even tapping in the 20s, that's when you knew he was legitimate. But the threes off the pick and roll were ridiculous. Going in and playing so slow just doesn't seem like it works as a point guard. But as we've seen with Maladone and even SGA, who's a lot faster than Maladone, honestly, you can work with that. You just need to be able to create your own space by being slow. Pull a Kyle Anderson. Start bumping into your player by behind, and you'll be set. And that's what Jerome was able to do. And even driving in, he was kind of all right anyways. The big thing, though, is off the ball. He also was absolutely insane. Now, when you also break down the catch-and-shoot numbers for Ty Jerome this year, he averaged 3.5 threes off the catch and shoot. Majority of his threes this year were off of the catch. He shot 41.2%. He fills in as a puzzle piece just like SGA does, shooting 42 or 43.2% off those catch and shoots to where you could put those two together. Let's say there's injuries or they have to start for whatever reason together. 
you're not going to be upset about that because they both contribute to each other's games. Now, I don't see Jerome being a drive and dish specialist where he can drive in and he'll draw in two or three defenders because you're able to get right back onto him. Now, he's good at passing to the roll man, but you can take your chances and the guy at the corner, he can hedge, he can probably get back on time to his defender. But with SGA, you can clearly do that. Regardless, both SGA and Jerome have a great sense of the floor. If he sees in the back of his peripheral that someone's moving, SGA's guy is moving in on him, he'll make that wacky pass. He'll get it on target, and SGA will tee it up. Same goes with Jerome. Those are two players that are perfect both on and off. That is the most important thing. And for everything about Ty, one of the best things is he's six foot five. So he's a combo guard who's not going to be restricted by positions. And this is something that I'm going to be talking about for the next five days. All of these players outside of really center, they are chess pieces to where they can get moved to two, maybe even three positions. And it's due to the height. And when it's not due to height, it's due to other defensive skills that make up for those deficiencies inch wise. So it's major for Jerome, as I said, on season averages. A little bit flaky. I don't even know if I said it, but he averaged 10.7 points, 2.8 rebounds, and 3.6 assists in 24 minutes. He has a future ahead of him with the Thunder, probably as a bench guy, but he does have that six-man potential where if you need a microwave, he's going to do that for you. He turned into a Jordan Clarkson late, and I really complained. I was very harsh on Sam Presti when they decided to ditch Frank Jackson. He still is a Jordan Clarkson type, but maybe Ty Jerome is that as well, but he's not just about passing. Is he as great of a a shot creator as Jackson? Not in a mid-range situation, no, but passing-wise, he's much better, and I think that means a lot for where the Thunder is trying to progress moving forward. So SGA and Jerome, they made statements this year, and there's a lot more statements I am going to be talking about tomorrow. Going to be talking about Teo Maladone, Kenrich Williams, Svima Hailuk, and Charlie Brown Jr. Kind of that, like, just throw him in. I'll talk about him for, like, the 10 games he played, you know? But get hyped up for that. Going to be talking about those four players. Going to be two more consecutive get- days of talking four players so you got three in a row and then you finish it off with a three-piece with brown bradley and horford so hope you all enjoyed this little stint that i am starting out going to be talking about it a lot as i said and after this get excited for the draft but other than that though guys that is going to wrap up today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya